take your Bibles out this morning. Place the cup and the receptacle in front of you. The wafer to your side, again, we'll receive after the message this morning. Please. Luke chapter 9 within your Bibles this morning. Follow along with me, and do you have a sermon study guide? You can fill in the blanks this morning as we give you a bit of a different word than I have given in, a, in quite a while, more of a teaching uh, word on uh, this time change morning, and uh, we pray that it will be a blessing to one and all. I'm in the business of meeting and greeting people. We had a number of new visitors in Solid Rock Cafe this morning. Uh, we had John and Natalie. We had an Amanda and uh, a Tony. We had a Pete and a Ruby, and we had uh, uh, Joe and a Jill. These were all brand new people in Solid Rock Cafe this morning, and uh, four of those were those that raised their hands for salvation. Glory to God. Uh, in meeting and greeting people, though, uh, like me, all the time, there are those times of committing what I call a case of mistaken identity. Have you ever committed a case of mistaken identity? Identity. For instance, when after this service, I'll run over here to the south entrance, and, and I like meeting and greeting as many people as I can. I appreciate it when you balcony people come out over there and then go out because I feel like I don't get a chance to meet you as much. And, and if I haven't meet it, uh, uh, been meeting and greeting with you in a while, please do so. Uh, if you're brand new this morning, please stop by. I'd love to memorize your name. That, that's fun for me. But, but I've made some real, real bad goofs. I've got to admit, like not long ago, I said to a, a gentleman, I said, oh, uh, is this your daughter? that you've brought to church, that's my wife. It was a great compliment to her, but man, I burned him. I burned I didn't mean to. Didn't mean to. It's like my next door neighbors recently divorced, and uh, uh, in the summertime, I noticed uh, uh, an older, gray-haired gentleman mowing the lawn, and I thought you know, that must be her father helping her out, and I went over and uh, I said, "Hi, I'm Phil, the next door neighbor." And uh, man, I—that's a really—that's being a really nice dad uh, mowing the lawn of your. I'm her boyfriend. <laughs> Worse than that, anytime I do a pastor seminar. Pray for me, uh, two weeks from this weekend, I'm doing a pastor's seminar in Dallas, Texas, and uh, pray for me with that. Anytime I teach young pastors uh, about interpersonal skills in the ministry, uh, I've warned them about this incident that took place years ago with me. Uh, a, a brand new couple was uh, coming through the, going out the, the door, and I was greeting people, and I looked at her, and I said, oh! So we've got one in the oven. <laughs> you know what's coming. <laughs> when, when are we about to be blessed? I'm not pregnant. Oh. 
I tell young pastors now, I don't care if that girl is nine months full term. You wait until she tells you that she's pregnant. Don't presuppose. <laughs> I've learned that. <laughs> we don't want a case of mistaken identity. Mistaken identity. What was the most serious case of mistaken identity? We're preaching through the Gospel of Luke, chapter by chapter. This morning we're in Luke chapter 9. Look with me in Luke chapter 9, verse 18, at the greatest case of mistaken identity in the Bible, in fact, in all eternity. Once when Jesus was praying in private and His disciples were with Him, He asked them, what, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Do you hear Jesus' question? Regarding his identity, who do people say that I am? All kinds of people, organizations, religions, all are committing today cases of mistaken identity regarding Jesus. Who, who, do, who do the Muslims say Jesus was and is? Jesus Christ, the son of Mary, was no more than an apostle of God, a prophet only to the nation Israel, while Muhammad is the last and greatest prophet to the whole world. What do the Mormons say? A good man not conceived by the Holy Spirit, a resurrected Adam. What do the Jehovah Witnesses, the JWs, what do they say? A good man, not God, not equal to God, died on the cross, no resurrection from the dead. What do the New Agers how do the New Agers consider Jesus? A good man, a great teacher, one of the ascended masters, just one of many ways to God. And then how about film director Martin Scorsese, the one that directed The Last Temptation of Christ? A good man, unsure of his destiny, indecisive, confused, weak character, plagued by self-doubt, and overcome by sexual fantasy. End quote. But listen, Jesus is not interested in what others think regarding his identity. He wants to know what you think. Luke 9.20, Jesus asks, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. God's Messiah. In Matthew chapter 16, I like how Ma Matthew uh, scribes it, but what about you, Jesus asks? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. And then Matthew adds, the Son of the living God. Who do you say that I am? Is the most critical, the most vital, pivotal question of all time. In eternity, how you respond, how you answer this question, your eternal soul will hang in the balance. It will determine your eternal habitation, your eternal destiny. Committing a, a mistaken identity about Jesus is the costliest mistake of all time and all eternity. Son of God. Many of you have already seen the movie. Some are going to see it. This message, this sermon has the same title. Let's answer the critics regarding the identity of Jesus Christ this morning. Do we accept as a church, as a people, as Christians, do we accept the 
deity, the divinity of Jesus on mere blind faith alone? Or do we have reasonable, objective proof that Jesus is exactly who he said he is? So more importantly this morning, who is Jesus to us? I hope you agree with this sermon title, Son of God. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit, make this teaching word. Lord, not one just of heart knowledge, but let it be, O oh God, one of heart knowledge. Not head knowledge, but heart knowledge, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen and amen. Let's look at proofs for the historicity of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, some maintain that Jesus never, ever existed. For instance, Bertrand Russell. I may say that one is not concerned with the historical question. Bertrand Russell remarks, Historically, it is quite doubtful whether Christ ever existed at all. And if he did, we do not know anything about him. So I'm not concerned with the historical question, which is a very difficult one. Or how about Ellen Johnson, the president of the American Atheist Organization? She said on Larry King Live in 2005, the reality is there is not one shred of secular evidence there ever was a Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in Christianity is a modern religion. One of the reasons I'm excited about springtime is because uh, of the month of April, uh, because uh, we're getting ready to celebrate uh, the National Atheist Holiday, April the 1st. <laughs> Some of you that lost an hour's sleep, that went right over your head, yeah. You heard about the atheists, they have a new phone line, a new dial-a-prayer phone line. If you heard of the, the atheist dial-a-prayer phone line, it rings and rings and rings and nobody answers. <laughs> There's not one shred, she says, of credible evidence that Jesus ever existed. Let's look at the evidence. How about the proof of eyewitness testimony? Eyewitness testimony. Listen, if you're going to prove that any historical figure, especially in ancient history, ever lived, existed, you cannot do that in the laboratory. It's not a matter of scientific method. To prove that someone existed historically, especially in ancient history, it's a matter not of scientific method, but of the legal method. The legal method is based upon what? Eyewitness testimony, even today in today's courtrooms. Think of it. The facts regarding Jesus were recorded by eyewitnesses, the apostles, uh, the gospel writers, Luke and Mark, who gave firsthand testimony of the historicity of Jesus Christ. Listen to John and 1 John. John said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. But let's move beyond the Bible. How about the testimony of ancient secular historians? Cornelius Tacitus, for instance, the Roman historian who reported the burning of Rome by Nero, Cornelius Tacitus, surely not at all a Christian, 
a secular historian, he wrote, and I quote, Christ, the founder of the Christians, was put to death by Pontius Pilate in the region of Tiberias. A multitude of ancient secular historians and writers verify the historicity of Jesus. I'm talking about Lucian, Suetonius, Plinius, Secundus, Pliny, the younger Thallus, the, 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 the Jewish Talmuds, all report that Jesus existed. In fact, the ancient Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, he wrote this, and I quote, now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works. This man was the Christ. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross, he appeared alive on the third day, and even now the race of Christians, so named from him, has not died out. Now you need to understand Flav Flavius Josephus was not a Christian. He was not even a Christian writer. He was a historian. More has been written concerning the birth, the life, the death of Jesus than any other person of ancient history. The latest edition of, of the Encyclopedia Britannica, I'm talking about the 15th edition that appears online, uses more than 20,000 words to describe Jesus Christ. More space is given to Jesus than Aristotle, Cicero, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, Napoleon, all combined. Such is the impact of Jesus of Nazareth upon this world. Oh, come on, church. That deserves a glory shout. Amen. You're not following a loser. You're following the greatest person of all time and history. In view of the irrefutable evidence for historical Jesus, listen, anyone doubting his existence ought to belong to the Flat Earth Society. Duh. Okay, preacher. Okay, you got me convinced. You got me convinced that there was a historical Jesus of Nazareth. But come on. It takes blind faith to believe that he was the Son of God. Let's give you proofs then for the deity of Jesus Christ. Write it down. Jesus himself claimed he was the Son of God because God himself was the Father of his human nature. You see, most Christians that I teach and minister to, even in this church, I would dare say that you don't understand what we mean by Son of God. The deity title, Son of God. It's described for us in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Angel said, Angel Gabriel said to Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring, can you say that with me? The holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. You need to understand that Christ is eternal. Christ, the second person of the Godhead, of the Trinity, has no beginning. No end. Christ existed long before Jesus. Christ became Jesus that night in Bethlehem. Jesus was the Son 
of Mary, but more, more particular, Jesus is the Son of God. Christ as God. I'm talking about the second person of the Trinity now. I'm going to stretch you. We'll do a little theology 101 here. Christ is co-equal with God. Christ is God. John 1.1, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Make sure you use that on your JW, friends. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is eternal. He cannot have a beginning. He cannot be birthed. He always has been and always will be. When you use the title, Son of God with Jesus, that refers to His birthing, Him being born. And His Father, who is the Father of Jesus? Not Joseph, God. That's why He's called the Son of God. When you hear in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that did not mean that the Father in eternity birthed the Son. No. The Son has always been, in a sense, as the Christ. Jesus is only the Son of God when it connotes, it, it, it is linked to His birth at Bethlehem when God became flesh. We talk about the Son of God not just in reference to His deity, but especially in reference to His humanity. You know, this is how many Christians get tripped up by the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, and the Muslims who use this issue to prove that Jesus could not be equal with God if He's God's Son. Roman Catholics also miss uh, this point by calling Mary the mother of God. No, she was the mother of Jesus. If she was the mother of God, she would be above in an authority over God the Father. It would make her greater than God. In Christ's deity, He is co-equal with God. But in His humanity, He is subject to God. Now many claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. Many claim uh, that Jesus never announced that He was divine. Listen, none of the founders, and this is an important point, none of the founders of the world's great religions ever claimed to be God. Muhammad never claimed to be Allah. Confucius, Buddha, never claimed to be God. Abraham, the founder of Judaism, never claimed to be Yahweh, Jehovah. Only one great founder of any world religion ever claimed to be God. Who is that one? Jesus. Jesus. And he said it with confidence and with authority. Think of it. A humble carpenter came out of nowhere. He came from Nazareth. And what did he say in John 14? He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work.
Among the leaders of the world's greatest religions, Jesus is unique in claiming he was God in human flesh. Even under the threat of death, Jesus kept claiming that he was God in flesh. Matthew 26, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. And what did they immediately do? The high priest tore his robe and shouted, Blasphemy! They punched Jesus in the face, and they began to spit upon him, a sign of cursing, as they shouted, Blasphemy! The New Testament, write it down, both reports and teaches the deity of Jesus Christ. In Luke 9.29, Luke 9.29, what happens here? Jesus is transfigured on, on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, and a voice comes from the cloud saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to Him. The Bible reports the sudden transformation of the disciples. After the death of Jesus, the disciples are like scared, frightened rabbits. But when they understand and are keenly aware that He is who He said He was, the Son of God, they transform the world. They turn the world upside down. May I say, they turn the world upside right in their own generation. How do you explain that? You can only explain it by the fact that Jesus is who He said He was. Son of God. The New Testament teaches the divinity of Jesus Christ. John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians 1.15, Paul writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God. Next time the JWs come knocking on your door, give them this verse. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. So what's the united testimony of Jesus, the apostles, the New Testament writers? Jesus is more than a mere man. He was and He is God. Write it down. The history of the growth of Christianity in the first century and beyond is another proof of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a passing fad. It's not a passing trend. Bring an emperor who, 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 who puts men and women, boys and girls, because of their Christian faith in the Colosseum, threaten them with death, threaten them with torture, threaten them with fire, threaten them with imprisonment, and Christianity just keeps growing and keeps growing. It, it, it survives communism. It survives atheism. It survives all socialism, secular humanism, all the isms of the planet. Think of it. Christianity keeps surviving and thriving. Do you know that it is said that communist China is about to have more Christians than we have in America? Because the Christian church is surviving and thriving. The underground church in communist China. It's not a passing fad. Missiologists tell us that today there are more than 2 billion 
billion people on the planet that subscribe to the tenet of faith that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, more than 85,000 people every day are coming to faith in Jesus Christ declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Only God can do that. That's how we know He's the Son of God. But you need more proof. I can tell you need more proof. Number four, how about the historical confirmation of the supernatural nature of Christ? I'm talking about the occurrence of darkness at His crucifixion. All four gospel writers record that when Jesus hung upon the cross, an unreal, phenomenal, pitch-black darkness came on the planet, the whole planet. Were there any ancient historians that also recorded this phenomenal anomaly, this occurrence, that, that was never seen before or since? Yes. Yes. Thallus in A.D. 52 wrote... The darkness totally covered the face of the earth at the time of the Passover in A.D. 32. What do you think caused the darkness of Calvary when the sun, the sun's light was extinguished? Because that's what Luke records. Please go back a slide. I skipped a slide. It was now about noon, Luke records, and darkness came over the whole land until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. Now, we know scientifically that the sun cannot stop shining. So, most commonly, what probably happened was what? The darkness was due to what? A solar eclipse. You think it was a solar eclipse. Well, that would be noted as a natural occurrence, not supernatural. It was just coincidence that it took place at that time and place. But you know what? You're wrong. It wasn't a solar eclipse. In fact, I'm not the one to correct it. Uh, ancient historian Julius Africanus, writing in AD 220, he says that Thallus is wrong. Listen to what he writes, Africanus. Africanus writes, this darkness that Thallus in the third book of his history calls, as appears to me without reason, an eclipse of the sun. He goes on to, to state it cannot be an eclipse of the sun because Jesus died at what Jewish festival? At the height of what? Passover. The Jews were not allowed to hold Passover unless there was a full moon in the sky. It is scientifically impossible to have a solar eclipse when there's a full moon. You can't put it down to a natural occurrence in nature. It was God pointing out that God was hanging on the cross, the Son of God. Think of it. Write it down. Prophetic fulfillment proves that Jesus is the Son of God. This is for the mathematicians out there. The mathematicians. The math now, I've given somewhat an analogy uh, uh, like this over the years in my kids. 
uh, when they act like preachers at home and try to mock dad, they use this one, okay? I got a brand new one this morning. You can tell Jonathan in California, this is a brand new. John, if you're listening to the video cast, this is brand new. Heads up right now. Sure. The Old Testament, you see, contains hundreds of prophecies regarding the first coming of Jesus Christ. Most of us are well aware of that. Prophecies concerning him riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Prophecies of his manner of death, crucifixion. Go home and read Psalms 22. David, a thousand years before the fulfillment, writes in detail about crucifixion at a time when crucifixion was never even thought of, practiced as a form of execution. We're talking about a multiplicity of prophecies that Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, that Jesus would be buried in a, in, in a rich man's tomb, that Jesus would be crucified between two criminals, uh, that his side would be pierced, that his hands would be pierced. I, I mean, there are hundreds of prophecies, anywhere from 500 years to 1,000 years before the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ, these prophecies were given. Now, out of hundreds of prophecies, 48, 48 prophecies are loaded with detail, specificity. What are the mathematical odds of one person, by complete coincidence, fulfilling just 48 of these messianic prophecies? One chance, one chance in... One chance in one with... 157 zeros behind it. Dr. Peter Stoner, astronomical and mathematical professor in Southern California, wanted, wanted to disprove the validity of the Bible by calculating the odds of the Messianic prophecies. Him and his 600 students worked on this for months in calculating the, 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 the odds, just as a life insurance company calculates odds with you before they sell you life insurance. And these are the mathematics they came up with, one, I mean, or I should say 10 to the 157th power, one with 157 zeros behind it. How big is that number? How big is that number? Bigger than what you can ever conceivably imagine. Think of it. How big is that number? To put it into perspective, imagine one ant traveling at the speed of only one inch every 15 billion years. If that one ant could carry one atom, the smallest uh, particle of matter, uh, he could carry only one atom at a time, how many atoms could he move in 10 to the 157th power of years? Even at that incredibly uh, microscopic slow speed, he would be able to move all the atoms, if not only... Uh, all the atoms of not only, that should be of, not if, of not only our universe, but an additional 600,000 trillion, 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 trillion other universes the size of our universe. That number, 10 to the 157th power, equals 
all the atoms, think of it, all the atoms that would lead, don't put that slide up, go back, you're going to mess me up. <laughs> all the atoms of not just our universe, but all the atoms of an additional 600,000 trillion, 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 trillion other universes the size of our universe. Now let's put it in the perspective of speed. Now you can go to the next slide. At a speed of just one inch every 15 billion years. Next slide. Our ant, over the time of 10 to the 157th power of years, would cover a distance of 30 billion light years. That's how long 10 to 157th power is in years. Again, by the laws of probability, all of this means that it's simply impossible for 48 prophecies to be fulfilled by sheer coincidence. The number, one chance to, in 10 to the 157th power is so astronom astronomically, inconceivably huge, the human mind cannot grasp or comprehend it. We cannot wrap ourselves around it. Jesus is who He said He was. No one can refute that. Son of God. Son of God. How about the cultural impact of Jesus? If numbers don't impact you, how about culture? How about culture? You watch culture on TV all the time. How about the cultural impact of Jesus? We're worshiping on Sunday, not Friday. We're worshiping on Sunday, not Wednesday. We worship on Sunday. Why? Because of Jesus. He impacted all of our calendars. Think of it. Aristotle taught for 40 years. Sophocles taught for 30 years. Socrates taught for 30 years. Plato taught for 30 years. Jesus only ministered for three years. Yet, the impact of Jesus far outweighs the combined impact of the world's greatest classical philosophers. Such is the profound impact of Jesus Christ. Jesus wrote no literature. Jesus wrote no poetry. Jesus never wrote a book. Yet more books and literature has been inscribed in His honor than any other. Jesus painted no paintings. Yet more art. More masterpieces have been crafted in His honor than any other. Jesus built no buildings, yet more hospitals, churches, schools, institutions, edifices have been built in the name of Jesus more than any other person on the planet. More music has been composed in honor of Jesus than any single other person. How do you weigh the impact of one man, a carpenter from Nazareth? How do you explain it? He's the Son of God. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of God. Any reasonable person would look at the evidence and note that Jesus is just who He said He was, the Son of God. But what's the greatest evidence for the divinity of Jesus Christ? It's the evidence that He Himself offered. Jesus' resurrection from the dead shows proof positive. He is the Son of God. When Jesus was asked for a sign to prove that He is the Son of God, what sign did He offer? 
We see it in Matthew 12. Jesus wrote, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. John 2, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But He spake of the temple His body. The ability to conquer death. The ability to raise one's body from the grave. Only God can do that. But pastor, people, people who are clinically dead have been brought back to life time and time again. I know. So was Lazarus. But those people die again. So did Lazarus. Jesus resurrected with a resurrection body that would never die. It passes through walls. It can move at the wink of an eye. Jesus is alive, and because He lives, you and I can really live. Because He lives, you and I can face tomorrow. All fear is gone just because He lives. The resurrection is the greatest sign that Jesus is the Son of God. Hallelujah. Point, if you would, up there to that slide uh, by Professor uh, Arnold, if you would, move to that. Professor Thomas Arnold, professor of history at Rugby University in Oxford, England, wrote, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better, fuller evidence of every sort than the great sign that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Twice in the last 150 years, all the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, have been presented at two courts of law. All the objective evidence has been placed at a court of law in England and a court of law in America. Twice Jesus has been put on trial, his resurrection. Twice it has been proved proof positive that there's no greater fact in ancient history than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is irrefutable. Irrefutable. Well, preacher, what about the Da Vinci Code? Yeah, what about it? You stay tuned with me, and in the weeks that follow, I'll give you the four theories that have been offered on the resurrection, and I'll shoot down every single one. You can't deny it. It confronts you. Jesus is the Son of God. Death could not conquer Him. People could not conquer him. Demons and disease could not conquer him. Satan could not conquer him. He is who he said he was and is the Son of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. Okay, preacher. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But what does that mean to me? i got to go to work tomorrow morning. That's what I deal with as a pastor. Nice sermon. I was entertained. But what does it mean to me? How do I use it in my daily life? The deity of Jesus Christ, write it down, is the most critical revelation of all human history because it means our planet has been visited by God in human form. Some of you keep looking at the skies for UFOs and aliens. Our planet's already been visited. Not by some little green man or some little gray one. It's been visited by God. 
And when God left the throne of glory, he bypassed the palace. He bypassed the temple. And he chose to be laid in a little manger in Bethlehem. And then he chose to be laid upon a cross of Calvary. God has visited our planet. What are you going to do about it? How does it impact you? Why did God choose to take on human flesh so that He could feel what you and I feel? When you pray to God, you're not praying to some neurotic parent that says for you to stop your crying, stop your whining, and shape up or ship out. When you pray to God, you're not praying to some long-distance affair some deity who is removed and unmoved by your pain. God in Jesus became flesh so that He could feel your hurts. Some of you have come here to church this morning sick in body. Jesus knows all about physical pain. If you don't believe me, look at the cross. Consider the cross. Jesus knows all about heartache. Worse than the physical pain of the cross. Jesus experienced heartache like we will never imagine. Some of you are going through a divorce. Some of you have been shafted by your spouse who doesn't talk with you. Oh, you're still married, but you're living in a situation that is like strangers passing in the night and your heart is broken. Jesus knows all about that. Every one of His disciples ran out on Him. The, the, the disciple that was close to Him, Judas, betrayed Him. Jesus knows all about the rejection you have suffered. He knows all about the lies, the slander, the betrayal that you have suffered. That's why He's called Emmanuel, God with us. He not only heals, but He feels. But pastor, does Jesus know? Does God know what it's like to be tempted? Does He know the, the full weight of sin? <laughs> the Bible says that He was tempted and tested in every which way like you and me. Satan doesn't turn up the heat on somebody that sins all the time. Satan turns up the heat on somebody that hasn't sinned to try to get them to trip up and fall. But our Jesus remained pure. He remained sinless. He remained, hallelujah, holy, the holy Son of God. That's what made the cross so painful because the holy Son of God who knew no sin became capital S-I-N, sin, for you and I. He tasted your sins. He tasted my sins. Think of your worst sins. Now multiply them times millions and billions. They came on Jesus at the cross, and then God poured out His judgment on His only Son who paid the price for your sins and my sins. Behold the Son of God. This is why God had to become a man. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Holy One of God. I remind you, Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, 
They're dead. But Jesus is the living Son of God. And He is here this morning. He is walking up and down these aisles. And you might be saying within yourself, I'm poor. I don't know how I'm going to meet the bills this month. He says, I am your Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. I am the Son of God. You're sitting there this morning. You're sick. You're sick in body. And he says, I am your Jehovah Rophe. I am your great physician. I am your healer. I'm still in the miracle business. I am the Son of God. Some of you are here this morning. You're addicted. You're bound. You're hooked. Reach out and touch him as he passes by. He has declared himself, I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I still break every chain. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. I am the Son of God. You might say, I'm under the enemy's attack. Everything is a storm lately. Let him rise up in the midst of your storm and declare, Peace! Be still. He's still the Prince of Peace. He's still the one who said, I have all authority in heaven and in earth. I am the Son of God. But Jesus, I'm a sinner. He says, I'm your Savior. I am the Son of God. Do you realize that this morning? It's not enough to know that He's the Son of God 2,000 years ago. It's not enough to know that He stills the storms 2,000 years ago. Can He do it today? And I declare to you upon the authority of God's Word, He is doing it. He's still doing it. He is the Son of God who moves every mountain in the name of Jesus. I reported to you last week the testimony of the Korth family. The doctor said in no uncertain terms that their little granddaughter would end up being a vegetable somewhat the rest of her life. Never recognize mom and dad. Never have motor skills. And we reported to you last week, she's just had a checkup, and she is just completely normal. And the doctors are amazed. They're saying incredible. Why? Because faithful prayer has been going up to the Son of God. The Son of God. Two Sundays ago, Susan, wave your hand real high. Susan, right down here, came to me, Susan Zamet, and said, Pastor, my unemployment's going to run out this week. This is my last week. This is it. She's been looking for a job for more than six months. And this, please, don't line up with me. This is unusual that this happens with me. The Spirit of God came on me. And I began to prophesy over her. And I said, this week, this week, God is going to take care of you and give you a miracle. Many times he's not early, but he's never late. This week, God is going to give you a job better than you've ever had. In less than a week, she comes to me and says, Pastor, I got a job. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my whole life. All the glory goes to the Lord. Hallelujah! 
Hallelujah. Why? He's the Son of God. He's not just Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Son of God. Write it down. But the greatest reason the eternal Christ was born of the Virgin Mary to become Jesus, the Son of God, because He was born to die. Why did God have to take on human form? Not just to feel your pain, but to pay for your sins. God can't die. God had to become Jesus, the Son of God, to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. Why does Jesus have us take communion? Because Jesus doesn't want to be forgotten. Jesus is saying through this supper this morning, remember me. Remember that I love you. Remember that I love you so much I died for you. I took your pain. I took your sins upon myself at the cross. I've already paid the price. Will you now accept what I've done for you? That's what communion's all about. My Lakeside family, I've done my best this morning to offer you the evidence to prove that Jesus is indeed who He said He was, the Son of God. You have a choice this morning. In the words of C.S. Lewis, that great theologian, you have three choices this morning. Either Jesus was a liar, and He pulled off the greatest hoax of all time. Either Jesus was the biggest con man, the greatest flim-flam man of all time, and pulled off the greatest hoax. He's a liar. Or Jesus was a lunatic. Can you imagine the President of the United States coming to a microphone with all the TV cameras on him saying, I am God. Now behave. Hopefully, hopefully our government would give the President a leave of absence. A time to get well mentally. Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic. I cannot believe that all that Jesus did, all that Jesus said, and all that's been done since Him. These 2,000 years that Jesus was a liar or a lunatic, Jesus was exactly who He said He was, Lord. Now, you have two alternatives. Two alternatives. Now that we have proved through logic that Jesus is Lord, you can either accept Him or go on record rejecting him. How will you respond? I close with this story. You know I love telling stories. I've given you a lot of teaching this morning. So let me talk to your heart now. It was the Vietnam War era. During that time, a multi-millionaire, a collector of great art, great masterpieces, lived with his only son. They would spend countless hours sitting and watching 
gazing upon the masterpieces that dad had collected. Rembrandt, Michelangelo, Van Gogh. The son was drafted to the Vietnam War. And there, and time won't allow me to tell, he was killed in the line of duty. A young man, this boy's friend, carried him out of the zone of battle only to discover that his best friend, this son, had died and was dead. But such was his friendship for the son that one day this other soldier showed up knocking at the front door of the millionaire's home. The rich man opened the door and there this young man explained that his best friend was the father's son. And then he took out a package and he said, this is my gift to you. And here was a painting, a portrait of the rich man's son. The rich man said, can I offer you some money? Can I pay? No, I will take nothing. He was my best friend. This is my gift to you. The rich man broke down crying because the painting was a superb exact likeness of his son. He replaced the masterpieces with the picture of his son and would meditate upon the likeness of his son day in and day out. Years went by and the rich man died. And the estate auctioned off all the masterpieces. As the auctioneers started, the place was jammed out by people wanting to buy one of the artistic masterpieces, the paintings. But the auctioneer didn't start off with a masterpiece. The auctioneer started off with the painting of the sun. And he said, who will bid for the sun? Who will take the sun? He said, will you offer me $200 for the sun? People sat back and began to jeer and said, we don't want the sun. We want the masterpieces. The auctioneer said, I'm sorry, but the estate specifically instructs that we must auction off this piece first. No one would bid on the sun. Finally, the poor gardener, the gardener of the estate said, I offer $10. The auctioneer brought the hammer down and said, sold. The sun is sold to the gardener. And then he brought the hammer down again and said, this auction is now over. People went crazy. What do you mean? What about the masterpieces? The auctioneer smiled and said, the last will and the testament of the Father is plain and clear. Whoever gets the Son gets everything. Gets everything. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, we bow our heads before you who are Lord of Lords, King of Kings the Savior and the lover of our soul. We bow our heads before the Almighty and the all-loving Son, 
of God. We ask that you would knock upon hearts' doors here today because we know, Lord, he who gets the Son gets everything. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed and there's no one looking around in the privacy of this service this morning. How many, how many would like to be included in a prayer of salvation with this pastor? I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation. This prayer will make you right with God. This prayer will give you a home in heaven for all eternity. This prayer will change your life. All you have to do is put your faith in this prayer. All you have to do is lift up your hand right now and say, I want to be included in this prayer. How many this morning will lift up your hand right now? God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more? How many more? I'm looking. Yes, up in the balcony. God bless you. God bless you. How many more? Yes, God bless you in the back. I see that hand. How many more? God bless you, buddy. I've been praying this whole time. I've been preaching for you. God bless you. God bless you, young person. I see that hand. How many more? Lift it up high. You lifting up your hand is a sign that you believe. You lifting up your hand says, I want to be included in this prayer. Precious Jesus. Thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. Thank you. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. I see that hand in the back. Thank you, Jesus. Keep those hands up. Everyone pray this prayer with me right now. Make this prayer your prayer, especially you that have lifted up your hands. Say it out loud. Put your heart into it. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now just as I am. I confess I am a sinner. But Jesus, you are my Savior. Save me from my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me brand new. I believe the Son of God died for me. I believe the Son of God rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me, for giving me a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you lifted up your hand, if you prayed that prayer and believed what you said with all your heart, upon the authority of God's holy word, I declare that you are born again. You are a brand new person in Christ Jesus. The former things have passed away and all things have become brand new. From heaven's perspective, you're a king's kid, a child of God on your way to heaven. If you lifted up your hand and prayed that prayer, please, please meet the pastors and the elders at the front here this morning. We want to tell you about the next step. We want to welcome you into the family of God.